Good morning. Let's go ahead and get started this morning. In just a second, Jared will come and start our service by looking to the word of the Lord and opening that up and reading to us and praying. Um, but I just want to just point out a few announcements before we do that. Uh, first of all, if you signed up for Grace Marriage, if you're a part of that, our first session will be this upcoming Saturday, uh, May 19th at 9 o'clock. And so uh, if you need any more information about that, as far as details, child care, and so on, just you, you could see Bonnie and, and talk to her. Um, also, we'll have a graduate recognition on Sunday, May 20th, uh, which would be next Sunday. So if you have a graduate, I think we're just doing college and high school this year, but if you have a high school or college graduate that you want to make sure they get recognized, please see Kelly Richardson and, and let her know. I think we've got everybody. Uh, but, but just be on the safe side if, if uh, you haven't let her know about that. Uh, and then also just a couple of things that we're celebrating. One is uh, Jeffrey and Bethany's wedding, which is, is coming up in a few weeks here. And there's a table out back for them, just a drop-off shower. So uh, I'd encourage you to get something and just let them know that uh, you're glad to have them here as part of our church family and, and that you want to celebrate with them. And then also Amanda and Chase Van Kaplan, uh, are expecting, and, and there's um, a drop-off shower for that as well. Um, so I think that's it for now, and uh, I will just have Jared come at this time and read our scripture for us. Good morning and happy Mother's Day to all you mothers out there. We're glad you're here. It's good to see you all today. So I'm going to do something a little bit different this morning. It's going to be weird, and you're probably going to not really want to do it at first, but I want you all to just stand up for a second. Turn around and shake hands with the people in front of you and behind you, but avoid your own family. Don't shake, don't, don't shake your sister's hand or your brother's hand. So, I hope as we did that, we, we actually, and I think we did, probably look people in the eyes. But kind of the, the whole idea here is, is I want us to, to learn to greet people, to look them in the eyes. We're so used to looking at screens and looking down and avoiding eye contact in our culture, and it's really, it's not helpful. And... Uh, we're seeing some effects of that you know, in our families. We see effects of that in the church as a whole. But we want to let people know that we're glad they're here. And we want to be glad to be here. And we are, as, as uh, pastors of this church, in fact, glad that each of you all are here this morning. But let me ask a question, since we've done this little experiment. What do you actually know about the people that you just greeted? And you don't have to answer that. I know in Sunday school I'll stop and have those awkward pauses until somebody actually speaks. I don't need an answer, but I want you to think about it. What do you actually know about the people that you just greeted? Because chances are most of these folks you're seeing on a weekly or semi-weekly basis. The next question is not just what do you know about them, but how well do you know them? And then the other question that I would follow that up with is what's keeping you from knowing them better? these are things I think we need to start thinking about as a church. As you ponder those questions, I want you to turn with me again to Romans chapter 12. We, we read from this last week. I just want to look at verses 9 through 13 because I think these verses speak to an urgent need that we have here at Union Baptist Church. There's a, a growing problem that your pastors have seen and that we're concerned about that we, we tend to lack the kind of fellowship that comes from genuine Christian love. We come in and we can do the meet and greet part and we shake hands and we've all learned to smile because we all speak, speak and, and are fluent in Christianese. That's not the fellowship that we're called to and, and what we are discovering is, is that that's about as deep as it gets and it's tragic and it is reaping uh, bad results throughout the congregation and we want to try to curb that. We want to try to 
put that in check, um, and we need your help to do so. But more importantly, we need to see that God's called each of us to participate in fixing that problem. And we see it through verses like we're going to look at this morning. So keeping all this in mind, let's hear what God is speaking to Union Baptist Church this morning. This is his word to you. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. That's what I want us to focus on is the things that we see in these verses from letting our love be genuine to loving one another with brotherly affection. Then Paul goes so far as to say we should be outdoing one another in honoring our brothers and sisters at church. And if we think about that, are we doing those things? And then at the end of that, he says, he talks about being patient in tribulation. And I'm going to pray in a minute and make a specific application to that, but I'll, I'll just tell you about that right now, I guess. I think part of that is, obviously, they were in tribulation from different sources, but there is a tribulation at work within the congregation in that we're not warm and welcoming. And there are people who are withering and dying under the weight of that cold shoulder that they feel every week. And so there is a tribulation that is taking place in that sense, but I would say to you that are experiencing that, I've experienced it to some degree. My wife and I have talked about it. You're called in that moment to be, to be uh, patient in that tribulation. Don't react too quickly because we are working to bring a change to that within this church. So be patient in tribulation, but notice what Paul follows that up with. Be constant in prayer. And that's one of the ways that we, we remain patient throughout the weight of feeling alone and isolated in a group full of people, a room full of people. But then lastly to all of us here, it says to show hospitality. So will you pray with me as we ponder these things this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for our mothers. And we're grateful that you have given many of us wonderful godly mothers. And I know that's not the case for all, but Lord, for many of us, we have mothers who have loved us and, and led us to Christ or pointed us to Christ, who have exhibited godly care and, and, and concern for our souls, and we thank you for that this morning. And we're also thankful that at Union Baptist Church, one thing that we can be proud of is that we have a generation of young mothers, many of whom have a zeal to pass on their faith to their kids. And we are thankful that there is a, a new generation of godly moms at Union Baptist Church. But God, we also recognize that there is something, some here this morning that come into this Mother's Day experience with a great deal of distress, sadness, Lord, sorrow, perhaps because this is the first Mother's Day they faced without their mom, or because it's, it brings up memories of a mother who was absent or abusive or uh, cruel and mean, God, whatever the case is, not every experience with Mother's Day is delightful. And so we pray, God, honoring you and thanking you for the good of Mother's Day, but recognizing that that's not the, it's not a, a one-size-fits-all experience. And we want to recognize and remember those for whom Mother's Day is a struggle. And God, we plead with you that you would show a tenderness and mercy to them this morning, that you would bless them as this day brings pain, that you would bring joy and comfort and grace, not in, in rewriting history, but in stepping into their present pain and blessing them in the moment that they are in, God. Help them. Would you redeem their pain and turn it for your glory? 
And God, as we reflect on Romans 12, we need to confess, and we do confess, that on a whole, <clears throat> Union Baptist Church is not walking well in light of the verses that we've just read. God, too often our love falls short of your standard. It leads us to remain in shallow relationships that leave your people feeling empty and unfulfilled. And we see this as sin, and we confess it as sin, God. But we also confess our weakness and inability to turn our own hearts. We see the problem, we're aware of its results, but God, we cannot fix it without your mercy and grace. Would you pour that mercy and grace out today? Would you begin a work of renewing connection in this church, God, and bringing a warmth of affection that you speak of, that we would see whether we think we don't need community or whether we're too uh, intimidated to join into community. On each end of that spectrum, and everybody in between is called to take action based on these verses. So give the grace that is appropriate to our particular pitfall, our particular bent toward inactivity and disobedience. Help us to come in, meeting each other in the middle where Christ is at. God, we recognize that you're speaking to us this morning. And we pray, Father, that you would help us through all of our troubles and all the difficulties that keep us from walking in a way that we ought to. God, give us the grace to be fervent in zeal for each other, to serve this body with the spirit-enabled gifts that you have given to each of us. And for those of us who are growing weary from the lack of fellowship and personal connection, God, help us to face this hardship both with patience and with prayer until we attain the goal that you've set before us. We ask this, O oh God, in the glorious, the generous, the, the community and fellowshipping name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, let's have our ushers come forward at this time for our offering. And I do hope, as I mentioned so often, sometimes we sing songs and um, they're not really the, the expression of our heart. They're just words that we're saying. But I, I hope that those words that we're confessing just now, I hope they're true words of our congregation this morning, that as we meet and as we gather together, the, the focus isn't on myself, it's not on me, but it's on Jesus Christ. You know, I think the modern church is one of the things that we've gotten so wrong is the focus is about me, uh, but, but it's not. It, it is about Christ. Let's pray to him now. Lord, we, we confess that as we sing that song, we, we realize there's a tension in our heart in which all of us tend to want to make everything about us. We want the focus and the attention to be on us and whether we like this or didn't like that or what we thought about this or that. And yet, Lord, the, the reality of what's going on here this morning is that we have come to worship you. And, Lord, our, our prayer and our desire is that you would be pleased, Lord. Uh, often as we come away, that there are things that might, uh, that might bring conviction. There are things that, uh, that might really stir our hearts in ways that uh, maybe we wouldn't have chosen, Lord. But, but our desire is to worship you. And for you to be pleased in, in what is going on here this morning. So we pray that that would be the case. We pray even as we give this morning uh, that we would give from hearts that desire for you to be praised, for you to receive all the glory. And we just ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we want to say happy Mother's Day to all your mothers out there today. Um, I lost my mother a few years ago, but sisters here today we were lucky enough to have a mom that faithfully prayed and set a good example for us so don't ever fail to remember in your life as you're coming up you're an example to your kids and they'll remember how you prayed All right, our children can be dismissed at this time or no yes or no
Are they staying in here today? All right. They're staying in here today. All right. Mistake number one. It's out of the way now. So, all right. Uh, take your Bibles this morning. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Uh, we are going to take a break on our uh, series through the book of Ephesians this morning. And uh, we're going to think about motherhood. And uh, I like that song that Daniel sang. And I think most of us, or many of us at least, would, would recognize that we are here. All of us are here because of our mother. Uh, uh, but we are here specifically as believers in Jesus Christ, many of us, because of the influence and the prayers and the teaching and sometimes the blood, sweat, and tears of, of our mothers. And uh, so we, we ought to thank the Lord for them. I'm reminded of the, the great 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon uh, who had a mother, his mother was Methodist, and she prayed very fervently uh, for the salvation of Spurgeon. Uh, and uh, he was saved, and of course he became one of the great uh, Baptist preachers in, in England, and his influence has been known around the world and written many books and commentaries and uh, just one of the great preachers really of, of all history. But, but he did become a Baptist. His mother was Methodist, and his mother said, well, I prayed for you to be saved, but I didn't pray for you to become a Baptist. And he said, well, you know the way the Lord works. He always does abundantly more than we ask or think. And uh, so he joked with her uh, about that. But we certainly thank the Lord for mothers who are faithful to pray and teach and to train us. Second uh, Timothy chapter 1, verse 4, it says this. Uh, let's back up to verse 3. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your mother, or first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you. And then let's jump over to chapter 3. And verse 14, chapter 3, verse 14, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul is writing to his protege, to his understudy, Timothy, and he's reminding him and encouraging him to stand strong in the faith. And he does so in a way that points back to the fact that this faith was something that he received from both his grandmother and his mother. And how from an early time, from childhood, he was acquainted with the scriptures through their teaching. You know, as we think about motherhood and we think about the state of our world and the place of our culture, one of the things that I see as I look around is, is I think too often uh, the value and the place of motherhood is somewhat denigrated. It's, it's devalued in our culture. I think some, some important things have happened over the, the last century or so that many of them I think are, are good things, but I wonder if we've gone too far. I, I think there's been a recognition Rightly so, and this is a good thing, right, that there's a, a more full recognition, a fuller recognition that women are created in the image of God, that they are equal in that. 
and that they are individuals who are capable of very great things in, in and of themselves. I think before, prior uh, to, to maybe the last century, there was too often a, a low view of, of women, and that was wrong, and it was sinful. And so this is a good correction in, in our culture. There's also been a recognition of what, what should have been obvious, that women should be afforded the same rights and the same freedoms as, as men. And that, again, is a good movement in, in our culture. There's also been a recognition that the sole value, the sole value of a woman is not based on her role as a wife or, or a mother. That's not all that she is. She's, she is more than that. There's something more to her identity than being a wife and a mother. And again... I think that that is a good and a right movement. But I wonder if we have now swung in that correction of recognizing those things, that if maybe we've swung too far the other way to the point where motherhood has almost been devalued. It, it seems like that for far too many women, uh, the mark of true womanhood is achieved only as they unhitch and untie themselves as much as possible from, from motherhood. The freedom to achieve great things outside the home has become an expectation for women to abandon their role sometimes, for some women, to, to abandon their role within the home. In fact, sometimes a woman who makes it her life's ambition to support her husband and to raise her children is almost seen as giving up something that's better and more purposeful in life. Like, oh, all, all you do is, uh, you know, uh, you're a mother and, and, and a wife, as if, uh, you know, that's something lesser. In fact, even for some women who, who have kind of rejected that way of thinking, yet sometimes there's still a burden there that, that some of you maybe even put on yourselves. As your role of, of wife and mother, you, you almost feel like you are devalued, that, that you don't have some of the significance that you could. Well, all I do is raise children. All I do is I, I'm a mother. And so maybe I, I don't have as much worth or I haven't achieved as much. Another thing that has happened in this overcorrection, I think, is that uh, the idea of equal value and worth, which is right and good, and it's something I think that the Bible teaches, that we're all created, man and woman, in the image of God, equal value and worth, has given, away, given way to the idea of interchangeableness. Uh, the fact that men and women are equal in value and worth before their eyes in God does not mean that we are interchangeable in, in our roles. Men and women... And this is a shocker. I mean, this is unbelievable that, that, that potentially some people could even be upset by this or think differently than this. But men and women are different. I don't know if you know that or not, uh, but, but they are different. And, and I think the Bible teaches that. But, but in our society and in our culture, the differences are, are being vastly uh, leveled. They're, they're being pushed over so often. Motherhood as a result of this, is, is no longer seen as maybe a baseline cultural expectation for young women. Uh, women may or may not pursue motherhood. In fact, very often they're encouraged not to pursue it or to pursue it later on. After you've done some important things, after you've achieved some success, some real success in your life, after you've done something of importance and value, well, then you could have children and then you could pursue that. But certainly uh, don't, don't give up the important stuff first. This morning, what I want to call us to is, is not to, to give away those positive 
cultural changes that have occurred. We, we don't want to give those away. We don't want to go back to, to a time in which, you know, the only value a woman had was uh, in, in motherhood or, or that was the thinking that, that really that's all that she's capable of. We, we don't want to go back to that. We don't want to move, and, and I don't think the Bible teaches that. But what I do want us to do is not to overcorrect. I, I want us to come back and have a biblical view of both gender and motherhood. Uh, the biblical view of motherhood is this, is that it's the greatest task that any human being could ever do. So, so whatever else women and mothers that you're called to do, whatever else you achieve in your career, whatever else you achieve outside of the family, you need to know this. The greatest task that any human being could ever do is the task of motherhood. No matter how great those other achievements are, and they can be very great, and, and they can be pursued a, as a good thing. Yes, motherhood is not the totality of a woman's existence and their meaning or value for, for women. There is meaning or value for women outside of those pursuits, but let's not fall into the mindset that motherhood is somehow second rate or ancillary or sort of off to the side. If you want to do something really important, you've got to achieve these career goals, and, and then, well, maybe you could be a mother as well. Motherhood is part of God's good design. God commanded the man and the woman to be fruitful and, and multiply. And so I think what that means is that ordinarily, unless God calls you to singleness, which he does for some, or, or unless there's some kind of providential circumstances in which God just simply does not uh, afford you to have children, uh, if that doesn't happen, outside of those uh, kind of uh, special circumstances, it is the idea that I, I think the, the mainstream idea in Scripture is that husbands, men should pursue fatherhood, and, and being husbands, women should pursue being a wife and a mother. This is the single biggest, I think, cultural battle we're fighting right now. It's a, a battle for a biblical view of gender, of manhood, of womanhood, of fathers and, and mothers. I think this is the, the front line of spiritual warfare right now in, in our culturehood. And so, uh, in our culture. So, I think what we've got to do then is present motherhood as something that's good, as something that's valuable, as something that's noble and praiseworthy. We, as the church, being the salt and the light, we don't want to just capitulate and go along with the world's mindset that motherhood is some kind of second rate, second place kind of pursuit in life. It is indeed the greatest thing that any human being can do. The greatest mission of motherhood really, I think, is this, is it is to raise up godly children. You know, it's, it's doubtful, I think, whether anyone has as much ability to shape children and to shape the next generation as, as mothers do. And so, moms, what you need to know is, is that's, a great, that's a great privilege that you have, but it also comes with a great responsibility. There's probably no one in your children's lives who have, the greatest, have a greater ability to shape and to influence them than you do. And when you think about that in terms of, of leading them to know Christ, just think about the ramifications of that. Think about the importance to the work that you've been called to. We know that, our, you know, we've talked a lot about our, our mission here at Union Baptist Church is to grow disciples the most effective way that we have, uh, the, the strongest tool in discipleship that we have is mothers discipling their own children. 
and teaching their own children what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Let me read this. I, I, I saw an article this week that I thought it was just really powerful and really good, and I'm going to read a, a bit of it to you this morning. I don't typically do that, uh, so hopefully you can stick with me and follow along. It says this, there's a 19th century poem that ends each stanza with a high-octane refrain. For the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. The second verse of Psalm 8 gives us a surprisingly similar take on how God views motherhood. It tells us what he thinks of the babies themselves. It says this, out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. We have been slowly brought to believe that empowered women are those who have detached themselves from fertility. If the purpose of our infants is this God-ordained strength, which he is using to silence the enemy, then motherhood is hardly beside the point to womanhood. It is hardly beside the point to kingdom work or to cultural transformation. Motherhood is central to the calling of women because it's central to the creational power that God has bestowed on us. This is a woman writing to women and she says, this is our strength. This is our glory. And this is our true power. We make babies and babies change the world. Modern women are starving for power. They are marching, demanding, and fighting, doing everything they can do to try to obtain a sense of power because they are painfully aware of a feminine power shortage. The horrible irony for many is that they trample on the bodies of infants, demanding abortion rights as essential to feminine strength. But it is all a perverting of the truly shocking female feminine power, that of childbearing that which they are dis discarding. We have been slowly brought to believe that empowered women are those who have detached themselves from fertility. We stand by feeling embarrassed of our bellies while intentionally infertile shells of women despise our childbearing as though it was a hobby for the low-achieving and undereducated. That's I think, hits on some of the mindset of the world around us and we as Christians we who are instructed by the word of God we who seek to have our minds shaped not by the culture around us but by the word of God need to see the great and high value of motherhood and and the greatest aspect of this motherhood is is your ability mothers to shape and to disciple your children as followers of Jesus Christ and it's for this reason that we turn to these passages here in 2 Timothy. Paul is writing to, uh, to a great man of God, a pastor in the church at Ephesus. Paul has planted this church and, and he left Timothy there to lead it. And now he's writing back to Timothy and he's appealing to Timothy who is, who's facing many different challenges. There are people who are opposing the faith. There are people who are standing against the gospel. And, and it's, it's interesting that in, in Paul's appeal to Timothy to stand strong, the thing that he points him back to is to say, remember what you've learned and remember that your mama is the one that taught you. Remember it was your mother and your grandmother. This faith that you have, it was their faith and now it's been handed off to you. And I think what Paul is doing in all of that is, is an attempt to, 
to sort of pull on Timothy's heartstrings. I don't think that he's concerned that Timothy's really going to give way to this pressure or he's really going to break over and start preaching a false gospel or anything like that. Uh, but, but I think he's trying to make sure he's rooted in the gospel. And he's saying, remember this faith and remember that it was your mother and your grandmother who taught you and how they trained you in the scripture. Let's look for just a minute at these passages here. First Timothy uh, or 2 Timothy 1, verse 4, the first thing that we see here is that Timothy's faith did not originate with him. Timothy's faith did not originate uh, with him. And it's actually uh, in verse 5, he says, I remi I'm reminded of your sincere faith. Paul writing to Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. I, I know that you have a real faith. And, and then he goes on to describe it. This faith that you have is a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. So he's saying, look, Timothy, I know the faith that you have. It actually didn't originate with you, did it? It was a faith that was your mother's faith. It was a faith that your, was your grandmother's faith. And it's been handed down to you seamlessly. Well, what a beautiful picture there. Timothy, this, this faith wasn't even yours. It didn't originate with you. You didn't come up with it. It didn't come outside of you, but it was seamlessly handed down to you. It was your mother's faith. It was your grandmother's faith, and they gave it to you. Mothers, you have that power. You have the ability to pass down your faith from generation to generation. Some of you, your children are grown, but notice here, it's not only mothers, but, but grandmothers as well. You have the ability to pass down your faith. If your faith is a sincere faith, a real faith, a strong faith, you can pass that down to your children. Look, there's nothing greater that you could give to your children. There's no greater teaching. There's, there's no greater inheritance. There's no greater reward that you could hand down to your children than to pass your faith in Jesus Christ down to them. And as I said as we began this morning, many of us are here as a result of this same kind of, uh, this same kind of transition. Our mothers handed down their faith to us through their prayer, through their teaching. Notice here in chapter 3, verse 14, as we jump over there, chapter 3, verse 14, that he was taught this. How did they pass down this faith? Did it just transfer by osmosis? You know, well, I'm a believer, and so I know that my children will be a believer in Jesus Christ. Is that the way that it's going to work? Is it going to be just, well, I show up at church once a week and, or, or occasionally, and so since I go to church, I know that my children, they will just grow up and they will go to church as well. They'll follow Jesus Christ just like I follow Jesus Christ. No, it doesn't work in that way. It doesn't transfer by osmosis. Uh, it doesn't transfer automatically. It transfers as you teach them, as you instruct them. But as for you, Paul says to Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from a childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. The way that Lois and Eunice, mama and grandmama, the way that they passed it down to him was that they taught him, they instructed him in the scriptures. Mothers, if you want your faith, to be transferred, if you want your faith to be passed down, you've got to instruct your children in the things of the Lord. And notice here the, the, the substance of that teaching. 
So, so they passed down their faith. They, they did it by means of teaching their children. But what was it? What was the substance that they taught him? Well, the fact that he says here from a childhood, you were acquainted with the sacred writings. That's a way to, to reference the scripture. You've known the Bible. And that word from childhood there is a word that means uh, really from infancy. It's, it's a word that can even be used sometimes, and it is used in the Bible at different points to even speak of, of babies who are still in the womb. We're talking about very young, very small children, and he's saying, Timothy, from the time that you were a small little child in your mother's arms, they have been teaching you and acquainting you with the scriptures. Mothers, if you want your faith to be passed on to your children, it will not be uh, by making sure that they're in the youth group. It, it will not be by simply showing up once in a while at church. It will only come, uh, apart from the grace of God, it, in human terms, it will only come as you personally instruct them in the things of the Lord. As you counsel them and instruct them and discipline them from the word of God, that is the means of passing on this faith. Women and mothers, what you need to recognize this morning is that the single biggest human factor in your child's coming to know the Lord, the single biggest influencer is you. And, and I know that God can use and God does work in other ways. I'm just talking about what is the ordinary way that God works, the biggest, the ordinary means that God uses in bringing children to know the Lord is the instruction of their parents specifically uh, of their mothers, bringing them to church or Sunday school or vacation Bible school or youth, if, if they're not hearing it from you, will not be sufficient. So we look around at the world around us, and, and you could look at the statistics, and I've, I know I've referenced this probably a dozen times, but, but what we see happening all the time is that children grow up in church, they, they, they get to their college years, and they either go into the workforce or they go off to college, and they leave the church, and increasingly the, the reality is they never return. That we're getting ready to have graduate recognition next week. And, and the sad reality is that so many children who grow up in the church, they hit that graduation point and they walk away. What is the problem? What's the, what's the disconnecting factor there that, that's causing them to leave the church? The problem is too often that mothers and fathers, we're falling short in instructing our children in doing what, what Timothy's mother and grandmother did for them. We must instruct our children. So... You have a great opportunity, but there's a great responsibility that comes with this. We know that Christianity is spread through discipleship. How does, how does Christianity spread? It spreads through what the, the Great Commission. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. Well, we know because we've been emphasizing that, right? That's our mission. We exist at Union Baptist Church to grow disciples in community. We understand and we know that that, that role of, of discipleship is life on life. It's investing and training and pouring into somebody over weeks and months and years in an individual kind of relationship so that they grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, what greater opportunity, what more natural relationship is there than you mothers with your children who spend hours and days and weeks and years with them? 
You are tailor-made in that relationship to be able to disciple them, to invest in them in that way. There's no relationship that is more suited for this task of discipleship than mothers with their children. This is what we find in Deuteronomy 6. Again, a passage that we often cite and talk about. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Mothers, you have that opportunity. No one is with your children as much as you are with your children. You have the ability to open scripture, to teach with them, to instruct them as you're disciplining them. Don't just say, no, don't do that. We don't do that. But instruct them and tell them why. Teach them what the word of God says concerning morality, concerning right and wrong. You have that ability. And so it is a great task. It's the greatest task of motherhood. Sunday school teachers and youth leaders and, and so on cannot be there every day in the life of, of your children. It's kind of like, you know, when you take your children to music lessons or, or hitting lessons, look, if you really want them to get that, you've got to work with them at home. If they're going once a week and taking music lessons and they put away their guitar, they put away their piano book or their violin in the case, and they leave it sitting there until the next week when they get it out and they go to play it again, they're never going to grow. They're never going to learn that instrument. It's, it's only going to come. Those instructions can be beneficial and, and they certainly are necessary and they're good. But if they're really going to learn, it's going to be you as parents saying, okay, every night, 30 minutes, get that piano book out, get that violin book out, work on, work on what your instructor gave you, let's talk about it, and, and encouraging them in that way. That's the way they're going to learn, whether it's hitting or sports or, or, or music, that's the way that it's going to be transferred. It's no different when it comes to, to, to the Word of God. If you want your children to be rooted in scriptures, it, it's not going to become because they sit here for an hour a week. Children who sit here for an hour a week and, and many times just check out, right, and, and aren't held, held accountable, they're not picking up on all of this. It's got to come from you, mothers and, and fathers. I think what this means is at least a few things, three things maybe, is that first, first of all, they need to hear the word of God from you. Mothers, you've got to invest in them. And, and some of you say, you know, I'm, I don't really know enough about the Word of God myself. Well, well, that's a challenge to you then to learn and to grow in your understanding. Even I, as a parent, sometimes my kids will ask me questions and I got to think, man, I got to stop and think about that. I've got to investigate that. I've got to maybe do some reading and research. Not that I couldn't just give them a quick little answer and move on. But if I really want to challenge them, I'm going to have to think about what's the best way to think about that and, and pour the Word of God into them. This was the way that it was passed down from their faith was passed from from Lois and Eunice down to Timothy was there instructing him in the word of God. Mothers, the most important words that your children will learn from you are the words of God. I know Bonnie will sit with our kids and try to get, get them to learn words and talk and she's working with Kate right now and 
it's not going over so good because the only thing she's saying is dada, right? It seems like that's what they always say first. She's trying to get her to say mama or something else or bottle, but, but dada. And so, so we teach our children. We teach them the words to say, but the most important words that you can teach your children are the words of life, the words of truth, the word of God. They also need to see from you a living relationship. If your children, mothers, do not see that your relationship with Jesus Christ is real, if, if all they see is that you're religious, if all they see is that it's kind of your tradition to go to church, they're going to be so quick to just set that aside. Like, oh yeah, my parents went to church, but eh, you know, I don't have time for that. There's football on Sundays. There's better things to do than go to church if that's all it is, is a tradition. They'll find better traditions, funner traditions that they can take on. They need to see that this is a living relationship that you have with the Creator. They also need to see that you're thinking through difficult issues. I've already referenced this a little bit, but, but they've got questions for you, moms. You're teaching them, and they're asking you a million different questions, and a lot of times, or sometimes at least, you're so frustrated and tired, you just want to say, all right, enough questions now. We're, we're going to stop talking, and we're just going to have some peace and quiet. But, but as you have those opportunities to converse with your children and to talk with them, they're going to have questions about the faith. They're going to have questions about what it means to be a Christian. There's gonna, they're going to have hard questions for you sometimes, and you need to be ready to meet that challenge and to give them not just answers that will allow you to move on, like, oh, they asked me something really hard. Let, let me just kind of give them a quick answer and we can move on. No, you need to be instructing them and giving them the best answers, giving them answers that will satisfy them once they're beyond that stage of high school and they get into college and they begin to have their faith challenged. They need to know the answers to those challenges. Mothers, you have that ability. Moms, the faith that you pass down can be a strong faith. The things that young boys and girls learn on their mother's knee are the things that are rooted the deepest in their minds and hearts. We see in, in Timothy that his faith is said to be a sincere faith. It's a real faith. It's a strong faith. It's a deep faith. And that faith came from his mother and his grandmother. We see in chapter 1, verse 8, and in verses, uh, chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, that other people are kind of giving up. Other people are abandoning the, abandoning the faith. Other people are walking away from, from Paul. And Paul has been in prison and, and he's suffering. And, and when that suffering came, other people were just like, I don't know about this Paul thing. I don't know about this Jesus thing and this gospel thing. I'm kind of, I'm, I'm getting away from that. But, but Paul writes to Timothy and he says, your faith is not like that. Your faith is a sincere faith. Mothers, you have the ability to root that faith deep in the heart of your children and this task so often falls almost completely on your shoulders mothers now I'm not saying that that's right fathers bear a huge responsibility in this fathers if you're here this morning this this is not just the responsibility of of your wife this is the responsibility that you have but we know that in in Unfortunately, sometimes there are circumstances that mean for you mothers that, that you are the primary disciple maker in the life of your children. If they don't get instruction in the word of God from you, then, then they won't get it. Sometimes dad's just not in the picture and, and sometimes dad maybe is there, but he's, he's not a believer. 
At other times, dad is even a professing believer, but he's just not strong in his faith and he's not taking responsibility to lead his children and to, to teach his family. Moms, what that means when that is the case, it doesn't mean that you just throw up your hands and say, well, I guess there's no hope. I guess that, you know, uh, I, I guess this isn't just gonna, it just isn't gonna happen. Look, you need to recognize that this falls on you then. But notice there's hope, mothers, for you this morning. Even if you're a single mom or you're, you're the only believing parent in the house and, and it seems like an overwhelming task, notice here, uh, Timothy's mother is not mentioned or Timothy's father is not mentioned in this passage, is he? We find from Acts 16 verse 1 uh, that, that uh, Timothy's father was actually a Greek and it, it appears that he was a non-believer. And so uh, Lois and Eunice were were devout women, they were women of faith, they were women who were, were Christians and they were strong in their faith, but Timothy's father was not a believer. You can see that in Acts 16, 1. And yet, what we find here is because of the labor and the work and the discipleship and the prayer and the teaching and the training of these two women, a mother and a grandmother, they are able to overcome those difficult and challenging uh, obstacles and able to pass down their faith to, to Timothy. Moms, you have a, a great influence over your children. You need to use it wisely. And again, here's where I think we need to push back against the culture. What, what this means is you don't need to voluntarily surrender this, this ability that you have to influence your children. Now, I'm not saying it all. I don't think it's wrong. I'm not saying it, it is at all wrong. Ugh, let me get that out. I'm not saying at all that it is wrong for you to pursue other things, to pursue a career or to, to pursue other things in your life. It's not wrong. But listen, this is what you do need to know. Don't do it in such a way. Don't pursue those other things in such a way that you surrender completely the influence that you have over your children don't see that influence don't see motherhood as something that is meaningless it's the most meaningful thing that you can do what what again whatever you achieve in your career what, whatever you do outside of motherhood outside of these things nothing that you do is going to rival the impact the eternal impact that you have on the souls of these children sometimes Mothers, especially if, if they're stay-at-home moms, they, they can begin to feel, uh, you know, they're, they're, there's a pointlessness to what they're doing. It's, it's kind of mundane and, uh, you know, man, I really wish I could do something of significance or something of value. My husband, you know, he goes off every day and he makes something. He works with his hands and he accomplishes something. And I'm, I'm just here stuck with the kids, right? I just spend all my hours with the kids getting them more Kool-Aid, getting them something else to drink, changing more diapers, and it seems endless, and it seems mundane, and it can even seem pointless. But what you need to recognize is you have a far greater opportunity here. You know, in, in a thousand years from now, no one will care very much about who makes paper or who makes steel or who runs this industry or who ran that or did this. But the impact that you have on your children is going to last throughout eternity. Just think about that. In a thousand years from now, these things, the, the, the things that are made in the factories around here, they're going to rust, they're going to fade away, they'll be nothing. 
but the, the impact that you have on the eternal souls of your children will last eternally. You have that influence. Mothers, all of us, husbands, fathers, we, we have that responsibility as well, but the focus is on mothers this morning. But, but mothers, there, there's probably nobody who has that, a greater influence on your children than you. Don't misuse, don't, don't voluntarily surrender, don't buy into the lie of the world that, you know, there's something so much more important, there's, there's a better way to find meaning, there's something greater than motherhood, there is nothing greater than motherhood. Don't misuse your influence. You know, we have mothers around that are, are so driven to train their children, maybe in music, and, you know, you see these moms that are just killing themselves to make sure that their children can play the piano or play the violin or or mothers that are just really putting in uh, overtime to make sure that their children are knowing how you know are, are really superstars in basketball or football or something like that and and I don't want to say that any of that's wrong it, it's not it is it's not wrong to pursue those things but but it is wrong if we make those the emphasis and we neglect seeking to bring them up in the way of the Lord you know, Jeremiah 9.23 says this, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord. Mothers, the, the greatest thing that you can do for your children is not make sure that they get that high score on that achievement test, that, that they get that... Uh, you know, that they get that scholarship to the, the finest college, that they become a doctor or lawyer, that they do something great, that they are the high school standout in sports, or that they, they are classically trained musician. Those things are, are all okay to pursue, and, and, and I don't want to discredit any of those things, but what you really ought to boast about is boast about the fact that your children know the Lord. That is what's going to be lasting throughout eternity you have a great opportunity many of us have been blessed by godly mothers who have discipled us and I just want to encourage you mothers don't be discouraged with the work that you're doing and and see the great opportunity that you have let's pray our heavenly father we thank you for the good gifts that you give to us we thank you for godly mothers who have pointed us to Jesus Christ for those of us who have our faith because it's been handed down to us, Lord, we thank you for our mothers who, who worked and were faithful in this way, who were, who were your means to bringing salvation to us. And we pray now, Lord, we have a church full, uh, a nursery full uh, of young children. And I just pray that the mothers here this morning would see the great opportunity they have. We know that apart from you and apart from your grace and your working, that all of our efforts are in vain. And yet, in terms of human instrumentality, we, we know that there's probably no greater influence than the influence of godly mothers. So I pray for the young mothers here that you would just help them know that, help them realize that, encourage them. Uh, Lord, if there are some here that recognize that perhaps they've been falling short in this, as we all do as, as mothers and fathers, I, I pray that you would encourage them where they are to just begin to be faithful in this task. Help us, Lord, see that it's, it's never too late to begin. And so we just pray all of this in the name of, uh, of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.